0: Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Guys, great to be with you guys this morning. A couple things, guys. Um, you know, we opened up the hub for the refugees coming in, and um, it's thank you for all those that jumped in and have served and have been helping. We've been doing it 24-7. People have been coming. Right, currently, right now, we have 60 refugees at our Lemon Grove campus right now, caring for them, <laughs> ministering to them. Um, so a lot of our people over there this morning serving to make sure they're taken care of while we're here this morning. Um, we don't know what's going to happen, as you may, might be aware of, that Biden just uh, Monday closed the borders to, to people coming over. So there's a whole bunch. So we don't know what that's going to do for, for us as we're continuing to serve. And we'll see what happens next. We will keep you informed of what's going on with that. Hey, um, I know we have some baptisms after service. So if you haven't been baptized, we'll invite you to come here to be baptized after service. We'll do it right after service here in the parking. We have a baptismal thing there. Um, I know some of you are going to be baptized today. And so we want to be able to do that. Hey, I just want to give a shout out to a birthday girl this morning. Uh, Ruby, I, I know you're up there. Up there. Happy birthday to one of our Hope House girls uh this morning i wanted to give her a a shout out guys i know there's a lot going on i mean we're we're a busy church we got a lot of things we're not just a sunday church we're everyday church amen Amen. and we have a lot of stuff going on but we do have the men's and women's retreat so if you haven't signed up for that i want to encourage you to to do that um you know if you take steps of faith god will meet that you might say pastor i don't have the funds or i'm not too sure if you if god's put on your heart to go then trust god and he'll get you there Amen? amen he'll do what he needs to do to get you where you need to be Amen. Great. If you have your Bibles, open up to the gospel of John, the fourth chapter. We've been going through the gospel of John on a sermon series called Believe. And so we're going to be in John chapter four, looking at really this morning, verses 43 to 54 this morning. My sermon title is called Full Circle. Full Circle. As we see in the story, if you've been following, Jesus has done a full circle. He started in the Sea of Galilee. He started the first miracle was in Canaan. He did a full circle Jerusalem all the way back. He's back up again in the first four chapters. So it's called full circle. Uh, Many of you know that, you know, I've been going out every Tuesday and invited you all to come and just pray for the community. And every Tuesday we go for one hour and I just walk the neighborhood and just pray for it, meet people, just pray for it. Because I think that's key. I've been joining a lot of people and pastors in the neighborhood and different around the regions who have been doing this very thing. And one of my pastors told me a story this week of what happened when he went out. He's, his church is located on the coast. So he was up by the, by the beach area and he was walking and he, he saw this guy fishing and he was fishing. And, and so he went to go talk to him. And the guy said, man, I haven't caught anything all day. Because I've been here since early this morning. haven't really caught anything. And the Lord really just spoke to the, the pastor and he said, do you mind if you just move over here? And I'm going to pray that you would catch a fish. If you just come over and cast your net over here, your, your thing. And uh, he said, oh, okay. And he did. He went over and he prayed. And he caught the first fish of the day, and it wasn't a small fish; it was a big fish. He caught it, and he was like, he was just like blown away, like, "Whoa, what just happened?" Well, what that did is just opened up the door for kingdom conversations, for gospel conversations, for gospel-centered conversation. The guy just started pouring out his life, like, "Man, this is where I am. This is going on my family," and he got to just minister to him. Now, I tell that story because a lot of times we think that, oh, you know what? In our prayer time and miracles and all these different things, are they possible? Can they really happen? And sometimes we'll focus more on the Miracle rather than focus on the purpose of that miracle, which is really to draw people to Jesus. That's really the purpose of the miracles. What you're going to find in the story uh, this morning is that miracles really validate who Jesus was. In fact, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Acts or the book of Acts says this, Men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested from God to you by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did through him in your midst. The purpose of the work that Jesus did and the miracles he performed is really to draw people to him. Not to the miracles or not to the signs. Those were only the vehicles to point to Jesus and only to validate that he was God in the flesh. And what you're going to see this morning as we look at the story of the noble man this morning, we're going to look at a man who comes to Jesus in his greatest need when his son is sick, asking for a miracle, pleading for a miracle, besieging God for a miracle. Now, I said this was a full circle story, right? We know that um, Jesus started Canaan he was in Canaan up in the northern part, by the Sea of Galilee. He went down through Capernaum, jumped down to Jerusalem. We saw what happened there, and then he went to, to Judea, been doing baptisms and ministering the gospel. They had a little conflict with John's the Baptist disciples and Jesus, but Jesus doing the work. And he says, "I must go through Samaria." And Samaria, we know, as we looked at the story of the Samaritan woman, what happened? The Jews don't normally go through Samaria. It's was, it was kind of like they went around Samaria because Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. They were a mixed race, and, and so Jews often didn't go there. But Jesus said, "I must go through Samaria. He through Samaria, he goes to Samaria, he meets this woman at a wow, she comes to know Jesus, goes begin to be a preacher, starts preaching on the streets in Samaria, the whole town comes, they hear about Jesus, they hear the words of Jesus, and they come to faith in Jesus, and then what happens, they say, can you just stay some more time, and he stayed with them, teaching and baptizing and doing things there for two more, for two more days, and then now he travels, he's traveling up three days to come into, back to Galilee area, their region, And that's where we find the story here this morning. I want to read it, and then we'll get into it. John, Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. It says, Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that the prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum and when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death then Jesus said to him unless you people see signs and wonders you will by no means believe the nobleman said to him, sir come down before my child dies jesus said go your way your son lives And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believes his whole household. This, again, is the second sign Jesus did when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. As we get into the story of the nobleman and his sick son, Lord, may you speak by your spirit this morning. May you bring comfort and strength to your people. May you bring encouragement, Lord, that we have a God that knows exactly what we need in the moment we need it. And I pray this morning as we just talk about ministry and we talk about the work that you did among lives in your own neighborhood, I pray now, Jesus, believing that you're going to do a work in this neighborhood, in this community, in this church, that, Father, we know you do because you're faithful to what you say you are and what you do. So I thank you for this morning. I ask your hand upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we begin to look, and we look at three things. First of all, we see that Jesus returns to Galilee right? He's done a full circle. He's back in the neighborhood. He's in a region where he kind of grew up, right? In a book called When Helping Hurts, it's really talking about how sometimes weakest people can have good intentions to help people, but it's not always very helpful. Sometimes we can have good intentions, but it may not be helpful. I've, I've traveled a lot around the world. I've been to Ecuador. I've been to Israel. I've been to Ethiopia. I've been to Israel. I've been all around. And I remember a lot of times people come and want to service people in third world countries and they'll bring supplies in and they'll bring food in and they want to help things. They want to do all these things. And sometimes though, when they bring food in, like say they bring in rice to a community and they come and bring rice and help them, but then again, and they use it to preach the gospel. But when they preach the gospel, many believe. Why? Because they got rice, right? But when that rice is gone, they no longer follow God. I call them rice Christians, Right? Or, or, or whatever. Because, because what happens is they're following the, the God who provided but they don't really put their trust in God. Because when that element is gone, they no longer follow Jesus. And sometimes we could come and want to think that we're going to help people when in reality that God has a deeper call for them. And even in, in our world today, even in our country today, people might come to church because they want God to help them. But they're coming to God for help rather than coming to God for who he is. And, and, and we have to be very, very careful who God is and, and understand who the biblical Jesus is. And, and that's really what's happening here in the story, right? This man has a sick son, and he, he's coming to Jesus to ask for help. But he's really not a follower of Jesus. He's, he's really not any of that, but he's coming to hear about Jesus. And so we look at verses 43 and 44. We see that they received Jesus for what he could do, not for who he is. I want you to hear that. They received Jesus for what he could do, but not for who he really is. Look at 43 and 44. Now, after two days, he departed there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet that has no honor in his own country, right? We know that when he was in Samaria, the Samaritans welcomed him, yeah. right? They, they wanted him to hang in Samaria and he was there for, for two days, right? And he was beginning to bear witness of who he was and they believed, Right? Some referred to him as, the, as when he came into Galilee after he left, he comes into Galilee as the prophet of Galilee. That was it. We see that in Matthew 21, 11. But we have to understand, when he came into his own home, he came to his own neighborhood, he came to his own region, they didn't receive him. Like when he came into his own neighborhood, they were like, ah, oh, Jesus, a prophet should not have any honor in his own house, right? Um, they weren't very neighborly to their neighbor <laughs> who Jesus was. He came to his own neighborhood and they just didn't receive him. Um, we know that in, in Luke chapter four, we know that Jesus went into the synagogue in his neighborhood and he's preaching and he's talking out about preaching out of Isaiah 61. He talked about how he was the anointed one to set the captives free. He's preaching out of the book of Isaiah, and then he says, I'm the one who's the anointed one. The word anointed means the Christ. I am the Messiah. And when they heard those very things, they actually got angry with him and they and they wanted to kill him. They wanted to murder, they wanted to murder him. You know, we, we only have to go to chapter four of Matthew. When he's quoting Isaiah 9, it's a prophecy how the Messiah was going to come into this region. He was going to come into this region. The region at which he grew up, and we have to understand the region that he is. He's talked about the area of Galilee. He's going to be in Cana of Galilee. That's where Nazareth was, where he grew up. This was the region. This is his neighborhood. He was going to come back to his neighborhood, but they weren't going to receive him. He's actually living out a prophecy prophesied out of Isaiah chapter 9. He's doing the work that God, his father, has called him to work. Why? Because he wanted to get an expansion of the gospel. He wanted the gospel to grow. He wanted the gospel to, to touch his own neighborhood, his own barrio, his, his, his friends and his family members in the neighborhood. So he's going back to his own. You know where it's the hardest to do ministries in your own family, in your own neighborhood? Because that's the area where everybody knows who you are and what you're about. And where you come from and the dirt you did and all the craziness you did, that's the hardest place. But Jesus goes back to the neighborhood where he grew up in and they didn't receive him, but he's going, I got to fulfill this gospel thing. I got to tell people about this. So some of the leaders didn't really see Jesus as a, as a prophet. In fact, they said, no, he's not a prophet. There's no prophet that's come out of Galilee. There's no prophet that's come, which is incorrect because if you study the Bible, Jonah was from this region who, who was a prophet that came out of Galilee, the book of Jonah. But they didn't even know their own history. They didn't know their own background. And we see that taking place here. But we also understand that um, they received him not because of who he was, but what he could do. And so they received him for, for, for selfish reasons, right? You see that here in verse 45. So he says, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. You remember when he performed the first sign in Galilee, he was turning the, the water to wine. We, did, we studied that story. He was in, and he went, then he left. went through Capernaum and jumped down to Jerusalem. So when he was down in Jerusalem, he was serving the feast, which was the Passover. We just celebrated the Passover. That's called the Easter time, right? That's our Passover. And so he went down to celebrate Easter in Jerusalem. And what happened was he shows up at the temple. And what does he find? Money changers, there's hustling going on. There's embezzlement going on. There's corruption in the temple and the church going on. And so Jesus goes to the temple and starts causing havoc and start turning over the temples, right? And he and then he, he just causes the trouble. And everybody's watching all this. Even the people from Galilee in that region would have been down to Jerusalem because they wanted to celebrate the Passover. So they're watching. And then all he does that he begins to proclaim that in three days I'm going to be die buried and rose again. and So he begins to talk about his mission and his purpose. And then we know that he does many miracles in Jerusalem. So when it says that they saw the work in Jerusalem, that's what they're referring to is like, this guy, wherever he goes, man, he's like doing miracles, starting trouble. (laughs) He's just righteous trouble, not unrighteous trouble. You know what I mean? But he's stirring up things wherever he went. And so they're talking about how they saw all these things he did in, in Jerusalem. We know that people Wanted him because they were seeking signs and wonders out of him. Man, this guy's the miracle worker, right? They received him as a miracle worker, but they didn't honor him as the Messiah. Come on, That's what they did, right? He, he would later do many more miracles. When we get to the, Really, when you get to John chapter 6, right? John chapter 6, he does the feeding of the 5,000, right? And, and he calls them to the carpet. We'll get into that story when we get to John 6, right? He goes, I'm the bread of life. And, and they got mad at him and then, and then they abandoned him, right? Why? Because, because of their unbelief. They didn't want to believe who he was. He says, You follow me because of the signs I did. You follow me because of the people I fed. You follow me because of the bread and the pondusa I gave you. But you don't follow me because of me. Come on, come on. And they said, Many said in John 6, he says that they, they were called disciples, followed him no more. They, they, they couldn't receive who he was, they just followed him for what he could do. And so we have to be careful of that, right? And so their unbelief got in the way. But it says that they had received the Galileans had received him. It says in verse forty-five. I want you to catch this moment because sometimes we could read Scripture and we miss what it means. Sometimes we could do a flyover on Scripture, but we miss the depthness of the Scripture. Come it says here that the Galileans received him. But in verse John chapter one verse twelve, it says, "But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God." In fact, John 1, 12 and chapter one, the word received in, in the Greek means to receive Christ as a, as a gift, to receive what was offered, to receive, to receive salvation. And that's how they became a children of God. But in John 4, 45, the verse we're looking at here, the word receive is a different Greek word. They received him as a healer, but not as a savior. That they had access to, this, to the healer and the savior, but they wanted him for what he could do, not for who he was. Let me tell you, you're here today because you have access to the Messiah. But are you just coming to him what he could do for you or for who he really is? And I want you to understand the depthness of what I'm talking about here because that very thing is where God is calling us. He's calling you to intimacy to know who he really is. Because as for this, he's the eternal life to know me, the only true God, John 17, 3. That eternal life is not a place, it's a, it's a person. It's Jesus, and that's who we receive. That's the contact by which we come to know him, right? And so we see here he returns to his neighborhood because he wants the ministry to do his neighborhood. They don't really receive him, and he's kind of calling them out. But God is so gracious and merciful, he works in the situation. He never casts people aside. He might speak the truth in love, but he never casts them aside, right? And so when you get to verses 46 to 49, what do you find? A request for help from the nobleman. He's coming because he saw all that Jesus did in Jerusalem. He saw all the work he did and said, man, my son's sick, and he comes to him, right? You guys, for moms and parents, you, you have little ones. You have your daughters here this morning. And I don't know, parents, you know the cries of your children, right? They could be at a playground, and there'd be hundreds of kids in the playground. But when your kid cries, you hear their cries. You recognize their cries. You know what's up. And when you hear the cries of your kids, parents, you go looking for your kids. You're, you're out flying. Okay, what's going on, right? You recognize that, right? And you come to help them in the midst of their pain or whatever, if they fell down, right? When the Israelites were crying out to God in the story of the Exodus, when they were in bondage for over 400 years, they cried out to God. We read in Exodus two twenty-three and 24, it says, now it happened in the process of time that the king, the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned or they cried out because of bondage and they cried out and their cries came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard Their groanings, right? He heard them. He heard their prayers. He heard their supplication. He heard their beseeching. He heard them. God is is not an absentee father who turns his back on his people, even in the midst of their, 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 their hurt and their pain. That's what you see in the story here, right? You see a man coming to God, crying out to God on behalf of his son, who's near death because of a sickness. You hear him because of his pain, Right? But God's not only gonna perform a miracle on his son, he's gonna perform a miracle in the whole family. And I want you to see that in the story, that God always has a purpose in what he does. And so we see in verses 46 and 47 that Jesus administers to loss in his own neighborhood. He's available to serve in his own neighborhood. Look at this. So, so Jesus came again, went to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain old man whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him, that means to cry out, to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Right? Full circle. Jesus back in his neighborhood doing ministry, right? It's where he performed his first wedding. Now he's gonna perform his second wedding, second sign or second miracle here in a moment, right? This brief little story that John puts in it for our encouragement, it's only about nine verses long, but it has power in it, right? It's the same region that Jesus grew up. Later we'll see the fifth sign in chapter six. And he'll do the same feeding of 5,000, just mentioned the same regions, the same neighborhood of where he's at. But despite of their dishonor, and not receiving him, he's still going to honor his heavenly father with his mission. In spite of people might even rejecting us, we still got to honor our heavenly father with our mission. We still have to do that, regardless of what people think or say, because Jesus did this example of his love was so unconditional for God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves me. right? But we see here this ministry opportunity. A certain nobleman came to him, right? A high-ranking, official came to him who was from Capernaum. This man was prominent. He was probably powerful, uh, but he still needed the help of Jesus, right? right? Some think he sat under King Herod of Antipas, you know, one who he thought maybe was the one who gave the order to kill baby Jesus. You know what I mean? He sat and worked under him, possibly they think here. And so because of that, he, he had influence. But he came seeking Jesus on behalf of, of his son, he traveled between 20 to 25 miles to get to Jesus. Capernaum was that far from the Sea of Galilee. Guys, you'll do anything for your kids, won't you? You'll, go, you'll, you'll climb every mountain, cross every sea, do whatever you need to do to take care of your children. And this father wasn't any different. He was going to hike 25 miles to get to the presence of Jesus. Why? Because his son was at the point of death, right? He says he was, he was severely sick. He was at his, at the very end of his life. That's what's drawing him. Let me tell you something about suffering. Suffering is not prejudice, right? We will all experience it. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't care what color you are, what gender you are. We will all drink from the cup of suffering and sorrows, right? But Jesus, Jesus will use the son's suffering for the good of his family, right? Suffering will produce a crisis of faith. Right, It'll open up faith issues. I know I've, I, I, I've done that when my mom was battling cancer, who didn't know the Lord, and my parents, and in that suffering time, they were opened up to the gospel, and because of that, they received Christ. I know Pastor Sean just recently, his dad's battling cancer. He's only a matter of weeks away, probably from death, but suffering drew him to con- gospel conversations about who Jesus is, and he received Christ. Hallelujah! Suffering will open up those things. Suffering will challenge us in our own crisis. What do we believe? What is the, what's on the other side of this place? It will open up gospel conversations. That's exactly what's going to happen in this story. He comes to get healing for his son, but God's got a bigger picture for this. But God's got to bring us to a place of crisis sometime in our life in order to have those conversations in our life. If we don't have crises, we may never have those conversations. So God allows suffering to happen in our life to get our attention. Did not he's, he's referred to as the suffering Messiah in the book of Isaiah. He went through his own hardships, right? He went through his own difficulties. He went through the cross for us. He had some hard times too. Birds have nests, Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. And he traveled. He had his difficulties. That's why he can sympathize with us as a high priest, because we knows our difficulties, because he went through the same thing here. But the son's suffering drew the Father to Jesus. He came because the Father came because he just saw the work that Jesus had done in Jerusalem. He heard about all that was going on. He says, "Man, this might be my only hope here." And then what you find, you find the the father has a passionate plea to Jesus. You see that in verse 47. He implored him. Shame aside, he didn't care what his position were. He didn't care what his bank account was. He didn't care anything. He just went before Jesus on behalf of his son to heal his son. And he said, come, come, I beg you, come to my house. Come, you got to heal my son. The word implored here means he begged, he cried, he beseeched, he entreated. You see the boldness of this man. Guys, you know the Bible says, come to the throne with confidence and boldness in your time of need, and he will hear you and answer you, says in Hebrew. That if I'm confident I know who Jesus is, I could come boldly, not in my own pride and arrogance, but the fact that I know a God that hears me can answer mightily. I have confidence not in Pete's prayer, but I have confidence in Jesus that could answer my prayer. See, that's the confidence by which I come. That, and that's, this man's coming boldly. I put everything aside. I've walked 25 miles. I've been traveling for a day or so to get to the presence of Jesus, to ask him to come to my house. And you see the boldness in that coming. You see the, the begging, right? What was his posture? He wasn't afraid to ask. And he asked specific prayers is what he asked here. But his, his understanding with, of Jesus was limited though. was was limited because he comes seeking Jesus and he only, he put Jesus in a box is what he did. I need you to to come to to my house, right? He really felt that Jesus needed to come to his house for his son to be healed but he thought that Jesus' power could not be extended beyond death, right? Like, he thought, I, I gotta get my Jesus here before my sons die, realizing that God could still do work even after death. Or, you know what? I gotta have him come because he doesn't understand that God could, what, can heal him for where he is and said, so can still be 25 miles away. I have people that come up to me after, after church and say, can you pray for mom? He's in another state. We pray in here to, to mom in another state because that's the authority we have in God, right? God, 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 God doesn't have certain jurisdictions he stays in. He can't, you know, he, he can heal in LA. He doesn't mean he could go past Oceanside to get to LA and Orange County. You know, his prayers could go further than that. All right, it's not bound to, you know, San Diego County. You know what I mean? It's not bound by regents. Our prayers can touch the world if we really believe that, right? But he felt, this man was, felt the pressure by time. He was bound by time, right? He was fighting the clock. Death was knocking the door of his son. He was feeling it a little bit. That's why the urgency of his prayer and the passion of his prayer there. But what does Jesus do? In the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, he just he goes, I want to correct your faith a little bit. I want to correct what you believe. So when we go through difficulties and suffering, God will begin to correct our understanding of who Jesus is. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of our... He wants to correct that. He goes, I want you to understand who I really am. So you can put your trust in me here. Look at 48, 49. Then Jesus said, unless you, you people see signs and wonders, you will not by no means believe. The nobleman said, sir, come down before my child dies. It's like he says, I'm gonna reveal something about where you're at, and you're still focused on your son, I get it, but I wanna show you something before we get to this issue here of your son, right? See, what Jesus is doing is he's exposing the shallowness of faith. That's what he'll do in our life when we're at the Word. He'll show, you know, we think we're deep with Jesus, but we're only ankle deep. You know what I mean? He says, I wanna show your shallowness of your faith. Notice this, he says this. Jesus said, Unless you people. Now, the nobleman is there, but he's really speaking to the Galileans, to the crowd, to the people that are in that region. Though he's going to talk to the nobleman specifically as it's the sun, but he opens up to all people here because they were following because of the signs and wonders they saw in Jerusalem. So he begins to speak to the region, not just to the nobleman, right? He's saying, Your faith is predicated on signs and wonders. Signs and what you're believing because of the signs and wonders. This is the first time he ever uses the word wonder here, which is another translation for miracle. But maybe Jesus is lamenting. Maybe Jesus is expressing his lament over the spiritual condition of his neighborhood. Guys, you're missing Jesus. You're missing it here. Much of what we hear today is this. Seeing is believing. I have to see it in order to to believe. We know Thomas, one of the disciples, had that very Philosophy right? When, when Jesus died and rose again, we t- looked at Mary Magdalene. She comes to tell the disciples about Jesus resurrecting. Thomas wasn't even there. So the disciples here, and then they tell Thomas that Jesus resurrected. And Thomas is like, no way, man. I won't believe until I see him. That's what Thomas said. That's where we get the word doubting Thomas, right? So Jesus meets Thomas right where he's at. He's the next week. He finds Thomas in a room. He comes and, and show, Tom, stands before Thomas and says, look at my hands. And he showed him the holes in his hands. That's what the scripture says. And Thomas is felling, oh, wretched man. And Jesus said, You believe because you see. Blessed are those who believe in heaven, you have not yet seen. He's talking about us. He's talking about the church in the future who are going to believe on him, yet they're not standing seeing the physical Jesus here. But belief is being sure when you do not see. That's what true faith is. That's what it's about, right? Some of you are seeking signs to believe. He says that when he begins to address. The scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 12, that very issue. You're looking for a sign. You're trying to figure this all out. He confronts them in Matthew 12. He says this in 38 to 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, Teacher, we we want to to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs, and no signs will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is he talking? He's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. We just celebrate that on Easter. You want a sign? I just, told- I just gave my life as a sign. I was buried and rose again, and women saw me, and men saw me, and the 500 saw me. The multitude saw me. And you're still looking for a sign? Guys, look around for you. Think of the miracles in this room. What more sign do you need than change lives? That's a miracle. <laughs> Listen, listen, I want to tell you something. When, when Lazarus was sick and Jesus resurrected him from the dead, right? And people saw it and they're blown away. We read that in chapter 11 of John, to chapter 12 in John. The religious leaders saw that and they said they wanted to kill him again. They wanted to kill the guy that just got resurrected, right? John's probably going, no, man, I saw heaven. Don't kill. Why you, why you bring me back, Jesus? I saw the light. I wanted to go to the lights. And you brought me back. I got to do this all over again. Right, one's enough. You know what I mean? And stuff. But, but, but the reality is he had to go back through that process again. And they, they saw this resurrected man. They still didn't believe Lazarus. This what God had done through the life of resurrection of Lazarus. How many miracles do you need to see before you believe? How many things do you have to go through before you believe? How many questions need you to happen before you believe? It's, it's every day. It's happening every day. This thing. I, I find it interesting... That the Samaritans earlier in the chapter believed because of the words of the woman and Jesus, and there was no sign present. There was no signs of wonder, but they believed, right? And those who came to Jerusalem were in Canaan, were looking for signs to believe. Listen, we can't build our faith on the spectacular, but on the truth of God's word. It doesn't mean that there can't be miracles, but even the enemy can perform miracles. Oh, come on. We see that in scriptures. Even the devil can perform miracles. So you have to be careful, right? But the nobleman continued to persist. We see that He didn't give up 49. He continued to be a, a repeating parent. "You come and heal my son in my house and heal my son," right? But Jesus wasn't moved by emotions at the request of the man. Jesus' agenda wasn't just to bring miracle to this man's son. He wanted to bring miracle to the whole family. But the nobleman continued to persist and began to be more demanding. Right? You know, sometimes we could do the same with Jesus. Right? We could do the same thing with Jesus that this noble man did, right? You're in dire straits. God, I need you to do this for me. Right? If you do this, I will do this. Right? If you help me in this, I will do this. Right? If you do this, I'll go to church. <laughs> right? I was like, I watched this interview with this famous actress with Oprah Winfrey and she was talking about how she met her husband and she said, I prayed to God. And I told him, if he gives me a good husband, then I will go to church. (laughs) And he met this guy and and she's going to church and God used it. But what if God didn't give her a husband? God's still God. Regardless of she, God God is not this woman's genie. If you rub the land and request something, you're gonna get three wishes and it's all gonna come true. We have to be careful of that theology and thinking. Because he may not do it. Because God knows what's best for you. You may be wanting something, but God's saying no, because that's not good for you. Be careful what sometimes what you ask for. Because it might not be the best for you. And we have to be careful of that, right? And you might even be mad with God. You know what I mean? Uh, God, I believed you knew. There was, you know, things were happening. I I prayed for my, my mom, and she's sick, and she didn't get well, and you didn't hear my prayer, and God, you're not fair. We start putting all this stuff on God. Who are we as the creation to tell the creator what he's going to do? Come on now, right? We forget who we are. God is sovereign. He'll do whatever he wants. And I just trust God that he's doing that he knows what he's doing. Because his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And we just got to trust him in all things, right? But, But the story is you have a son in Capernaum. You have a father coming to Jesus. He doesn't realize that Jesus could just say the word, and that son could be healed. We know he's gonna do a similar miracles with a centurion and a syrophysia woman, right? The centurion had a servant that was sick. He comes to Jesus. And he said, Hey, Jesus, my servant's sick. Jesus, I'll go with you. This time Jesus wasn't gonna go there. He goes, No, no. I know your authority, Jesus. I'm a man of authority. I'm a centurion. I'm a military man. I have men under me. I just tell them to go, and they go. I said, Go here, go here, and they go. You only say the word, I know it'll happen. He goes, Oh, you have great faith. Jesus, said, your, your servant's healed. It was at a distance. Same with the Syrophoenician woman, right? The woman of the northern part of, of Galilee up by Tyre, on further north, right? She wasn't even a, a, a Jewish woman. And, and there it talks about how Jesus, she comes asking for the healing of her daughter. And, and, and Jesus is like, don't, don't, don't you know my purpose here? And she goes, I'm for the lost house of Israel. And she's like, Jesus, even the dogs eat off the scrap of the table. And, he, and if he, he, Jesus was so blown away by the wisdom of this woman. Man, woman... Wow, what deep wisdom. Your daughter's healed. Even a little bit of Jesus can touch us. Even scrappy parts of Jesus, even the leftover bread, the leftover bread off the table of Jesus can touch us. Right? That's so we see the power of God here that God can do whatever he wants at a distance. We could see that in the in those two stories, right? But as we close this morning, we finish off the story. John here. Chapter four, verses 50 to where we see the response of the Savior, right? I remember when uh, my iPhone was not working years ago, so I needed to go to Verizon and get a new iPhone. So I go over there and you know, I had like an iPhone 6, you know, like, like the little one that was like, like, oh, we're at 13 now, where have I been? You know what I mean? And stuff, you know what I mean? So I walk into the store, and I, I want to change my phone, and my little phone becomes a bigger phone. And, and, um, and so I'm getting it, I'm purchasing it, and I, I come with this expectation, I'm going to get this nice phone. And so I get it, and I'm getting ready to pay for it, and I'm going to walk out. She goes, no, 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 there's more. Well, there's more. We have, a, we have a sale. If you get an iPhone, you get those boss ear things, you know, the nice boss earphones that you can put in your ear. Those are nice things. This comes for free as part of the sale. Like, if you get this, we throw this into the deal. I'm like, sweet, all right. You know what I mean? That's exactly what's happening in the story here. What's happening in the story, he's coming to want to get blessed for his son, but God's going to touch his whole family. He came with one expectation, but God blew away his expectation. You see, that's, that's how the work of God works in our lives. We might just have our mind focused on this, but God has so much more. So much more for us this morning. He just wants to expand some things in our lives, right? But let me tell you how this works, the response. Faith. Faith is demonstrated by obeying Jesus' commands. We see that. Look at 50 to 52. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, son, your son lives. Then he inquired of them an hour when he got better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Jesus gave a command, and there was a promise that followed. He said, go your way and your son is healed. Command to go your way, the promise your son's healed. I want you to catch that this morning. You see that throughout scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus gives a command and there's always a promise. We stop at the command. We're like, God, you're trying to bum us out, man. Look at all these rules we gotta follow. Keep reading. You stop right there. Don't stop right there. He's gonna tell you what, what follows if you do this. We all get bummed out and we get mad at God. He's a joy killer. No, there's more. There's more to come. Just keep reading the next couple of verses. You know what I mean? You guys get impatient. There's more to the story, right? That's the problem with Easter only people, right? Christmas and Easter only. I call them CEOs. Christmas and Easter only. They only come. They only know, one, they only know two stories. The Christmas story and the resurrection. There's more in between. There's more in between in there. You know what I mean? And stuff. But we have that going on. So we, he, we see that, right, he gives a word. That's how God's word works. A command and a promise. The nobleman heard the words of Jesus and obeyed them. He obeyed them, meaning he believed the words of Jesus. Actions follow faith, right? Because faith is dead. Without works, my faith is dead. Why did we help the Ukrainians? Because we have to live out our faith. We have to live out what God commanded us to do, right? To care for those in trouble, to help those in need, that, that's the command by God, right? I don't care what your political views are. God's word trumps any political view. I want you to understand that. I'm following God's commands. I don't care what people's decision is. I'm calling, I'm following the word of God. And we're going to live in that light under that command of love, right? Because he sums it all up in, in love. But I want you to understand, right? Here, The nobleman gives him a command. Jesus, the man says, Jesus, come, right? He's praying, Jesus, come to my house. Jesus says, no, you go. He sends him. The man is in a dilemma now. This noble man's in a dilemma. Here's his dilemma. Do I believe Jesus? Or do I tell him, you got to come to my house because I don't believe you because I need to have you at my house. Or I'm going to trust your word. Trust you at your word. Right? Because that's faith, right? Well, the man leaves, the dilemma was, I'm going to trust you at your word. That's where the faith kicked in. Some of us are like, I don't know. We come to the crossroads of our faith and we have to make a decision of what that's all about, right? What happens is now Jesus becomes the object of his his faith, not the signs and wonders. Jesus, right? He didn't see the miracle in that moment. He didn't experience the miracle, right? He just believed that it happened. That's why he went on his way, right? He didn't question Jesus' words, he just obeyed them. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God, just do what I say. Trust me. It's Proverbs 3, 5, right? Lean not on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your paths. Right? Don't lean on your understanding with God. This makes no logical sense with sometimes with God. You're absolutely correct. There are things that make no logical sense, but I'm gonna trust God in it all. Right? And so in his going, he gets Confirmation. In his going, he gets confirmation of the healing. That's what we see in 51 and 52, right? As the, as the noble man was descending, he was dropping actually 1,300 feet down as he's walking into Capernaum. That's why he was going Says so he was going down, right? His servants met the father and they already knew the son had been healed and they were excited to tell the father, I don't know what's happening with those servants at Capernaum. Dad's over in Cana of Galilee, 25 miles can you imagine his son's laid out? Maybe he has, maybe he has you know, signs of COVID. Maybe he's stuffed up. Maybe he can't breathe. He has fever. He has all the stuff. The services that are concerned. Dad's gone. Mom is there. She's crying, don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the son gets up and says, I'm hungry. You got some food? Yeah. Do you ever notice that um, when people get resurrected, they always brought food? When, when, Peter, when Peter's uh, mother-in-law was sick, had a fever, she got up and made food? Every time there was a healing, there was food. I don't know what that is. Maybe, so, so she's probably like, hey, I'm hungry, mom, what's up? You know what I mean? They, they don't know what's going on with the story with Jesus. They just know all of a sudden this kid and the servants are like, man, we gotta go tell the dad what's going on, right? And so they're running, he's coming down, they're going up and they're gonna meet each other to exchange information. Now, I love this about the father. They said it was the seventh hour, was about 1 p.m. Some, some believe that the Roman time might've been more in the evening time uh, with that. But the nobleman, didn't leave right away. Because he asked the question, when did it happen? He said, yesterday. So that tells me there had been some time that had been transpired, right? So he's sitting there. So maybe he, his faith is, I'm just trusting God's word because if I travel at night, it's dangerous going down. And I could be jumping. It's, it's, we're in a rough neighborhood right there near Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? So it's pretty rough. So he had to wait till the next day. If you were to know your son, your, so somebody said, hey, your son's here. Why not you get in, get in a plane, get in a car. You're driving, I'm going. But he didn't do that. You know what? when we trust God's word, there's an element of faith and there's an element of peace. And he, I think he had peace at this moment because as it begins to head down the next day and when they asked him what was going on, he said, this happened yesterday. At the same time that Jesus said it was gonna happen, he brings assurance, assurance of the work of God. And then his desperation turned to saving faith. As we close, 53 and 54. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come to Judea in Galilee, right? The news affirmed the words of Christ. I just know that God, the Bible's true because I know that lives are transformed when they hear the word. That, that, that confirms it for me, right? And he repeats to Christ's words himself, your son lives. Remember he said, the servants came, your son lives, like that phrase is mentioned a couple of times. Your son, two times with the father and they're going, your son lives, right? He repeated the promise. And in mind, I, I could imagine this father repeating that promise, my son lives, my son lives. Sometimes we just got to keep holding on to that promise of God, right? When we're at our wits end and when things seem hopeless, when you see no way out, you got to meditate on the promises of God. Seems fearful ahead of you, you got a path ahead of you it doesn't seem clear, seems hard, hold on to the promises of God. When you're surrounded by depression and anxiety and fear, don't know what to do it, Paul the apostle says this in Philippians Chapter 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything of prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, report. If there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, talk about praise today in our songs, meditate on these things. All I can do is praise, all I can do is worship. We see, that in song, we see that in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, right? The nobleman came desperate and anxious and left peaceful and hopeful. Amen. We see that here. Why? Because he meditated on the promises of God, right? And when he heard the news of the servants, at that moment he knew Jesus healed his son. He put his full faith in the Christ. Let me tell you this we talked about a crisis of faith earlier. Crisis of faith became a confident faith, it became a confident faith. Your son. Lives right, same where we find in the story of Elijah and the woman of Zarephath. When the woman's son got sick, he heals him. Your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah after he healed his son who was sick, "Now by this I know that you are the man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth." That's the same experience that Noel had. Your word is truth, Jesus. The Lord's word is truth. Jesus is a greater prophet who healed his son without even being present. Your word is truth. And it says that his whole household believed. His whole household got saved, right? I can only imagine that the nobleman testified, like the Samaritan woman testified, and all that Jesus said and did. And as the Samaritan town believed, his whole household believed. This is the first time where you see a whole house come to faith. We'll let her see it in Acts chapter 10 and Acts 16 with the centurion and the Philippian jailer in the book of Acts. Whole house is coming to be saved. Guys, your faith is a catalyst for your whole house to come to know Jesus. Amen. Never underestimate how God's going to use you to win the household, right? But I love this. His crisis of faith moved him to become a disciple and a multiplier because now he's sharing his faith with everybody. His confident faith became contagious faith. You know what I mean? Came, came, it, like he wanted to share it with everybody, right? And I could only hear his words of the same words that Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Come on, come on. That whole house came, we're gonna serve, we're gonna serve the Lord, right? Yeah. And so I want to close with this. There, there were two miracles that took place in the kingdom of Galilee. Two, right? This is the second one. The first one was the water of the wine, right? Is at a wedding, near 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 death experience, right? And then we have a near-death experience. Sorry, we have a water wine as a celebration, and we have a near-death experience here. We have when life is at its most highest point and when life is at its lowest point. We see that here, right? I want you to stand this morning. During your greatest time and your most desperate time, Jesus is the man for the moment. He is the greatest of all time. Amen. That's what he is here, right? At the first sign, the wedding, he showed his power over the physical universe by turning water to wine. At the second sign, he showed his authority over sickness. This miracle was not a coincidence. It was a confirmation. It was a confirmation. And his purpose and all that was to resurrect faith in people. That was his purpose. So I close with these reminders, guys. Number one, our first ministry is in our own neighborhood. Yeah. In our own neighborhood. In our neighbors. Do you even know your neighbors? That's your first, your first ministry. Second thing this morning, what are the needs that are being presented where you can serve in your neighborhood? right? Where who, Can you hear the cries of your neighborhood? Can you hear the cries of your, the city talks? It does. It speaks. Can you hear it to meet the needs in your neighborhood? Lastly, what opportunities are you seeing to share the gospel in your neighborhood, to share the good news, to see resurrected life? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Lord, I pray that in this room there are resurrected lives, and I know that you called them You've resurrected them spiritually. Father, they have new life. And I pray this morning, your hand upon your people this morning. There are some that are sick here this morning. Lord, I pray your hand of healing. But more than that, may they know the healer so they can know the hand of where it comes from. Pray your blessings upon your people this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.